remain standing. Remain standing as we get ready to pray. So, so I saw these signs both at Copper Oaks where our offices are at and also outside the driveway out here that said spectator parking. And I thought, did the beehive extend all the way out here, you know, for the Beyonce thing? And everybody was parking out here. And then I thought, no, it's not that beehive. It's bee for baptism beehive. And uh, so let me just say this about that, because, you know, the church, according to the Bible, biblically, church has two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Both of them ensure that we stand directly in a chain link line back to earth's earliest believers, all the way from Jesus, who was baptized by John, down to what we did today. So for all those denominations that think it washes away your sin, Jesus wasn't no sinner. That's right. Okay, so no, it ain't about that. It's exactly, you know, what the New Testament describes it. For a person who is a Christian, it's an answer of a good conscience back toward God because Jesus said, go teach and baptize. Okay, that is our commission. And so every believer all down through history... This is what links all of us together over time, is that every one of them did exactly what these people did in saying, look, I'm born again. I want to display to you the gospel I believed. I believed in the death of Christ according to the scriptures and his burial and resurrection according to exactly what the scriptures said would happen. I believe that for salvation, and we accept them on that basis. So praise the Lord. I'm glad we had a chance to do that today. Quick update. You know, we got our letters of intent in place, and so we did uh, get a real estate contract out to Timothy Lutheran, which they pretty much accepted just right off the bat, at least a draft contract. Uh, some other tweaking to do to it, I'm sure. We have not yet received the real estate contract from uh, those who were going to buy us, buy this property, so that we could move 1.0 miles east of here, the other side of 7 Highway. Uh, but that is the status of that right now. I'm really excited for the GO Conference coming up. Uh, we've got, uh, so last year we brought uh, Pastor McDonald Mwansa in all the way from Zambia. This year we're bringing in a pastor from Kenya. And, uh, you know, we pay all their way, and the airfare usually hits my, my credit card. And so I get a notification that says, like, one billion Kenyan <laughs> has been charged. And I thought, okay, what, what prince did I say I was going <laughs> to? But no, it wasn't that, and it's, it's all all right. And uh, so I'm looking forward to it. Dallas Lauderdale, who... Uh, spent a minute in the NBA. He's going to be with us. He does stuff with the Bible and sports, and but he will only be with us Monday night into Tuesday. That's the only time he could be here. So if you got, um, you know, any best any any bowlers that you know, any basketballers particularly, come on, you know, invite them Monday night. He will be here. Should be here with us, uh, Lord willing, and into Tuesday. So go ahead and bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time and opportunity to meet in your house with your people, opening your book so that your spirit can speak. Lord, do so today, not that we're worthy, but because we believe we're standing in the midst of a movement you want to make. You want to make this move. Lord, we open our hearts to what you want to do. We ask it today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, turn to the book of Habakkuk chapter 1, and I will give you, I'll warn you up front, give you a minute to turn to it so you can find it. Now, I know if you were honest, you would admit that sometimes you feel like asking God some questions. So you've got questions about how God is running the world, but you also have questions about how God is running your business Life hurts, people wound, pain gets severe. So we feel like asking God, what's going on? 
In the words of Marvin Gaye, who saw brothers dying and mothers crying, we ask, what's going on? So every now and then, we get in a position, we want to interrogate God. Because if I were God, there are a whole lot of things I would do different. I mean, my ship would have come in by now. Instead of waiting out in the bay for me to swim to it. And what we discover in Habakkuk is that even the prophets of the faith who dared to keep it real with God unashamedly and unapologetically took it upon themselves to have the theological temerity, the righteous audacity, and the gospel goal to ask God what's going on. Now, can I tell you why we need to look at this book on this Sunday before our GO conference starts next Sunday? And it's because, and here's our thesis for today's study, only becoming a person of vision and faith is going to turn your worries into worship. And that is why at our what is now annual missions conference We're bringing in the most missionaries I think we have ever brought in and had at this church. Now, we'll take up an offering Wednesday night for the conference like we did last year, and it was because your generous giving last year allowed us to do that this year, and they're coming in all around the globe in order to stir up the gift of God in vision and faith, and so not this Sunday through Wednesday, but next Sunday through Wednesday is the time to direct your family, direct your own kids, and direct the next generation to do the same thing. Stir up the gift of God in vision and faith. Now is the gift stirring time for our middle schoolers, for our high schoolers, for our college kids. For the college guys that I I spoke to uh, Thursday night. So what I love about Habakkuk is that he dares to go into the treasures of his theological heritage and raise a question directed at God. Now you got to remember Habakkuk writes just 20 years before Babylon deports God's people and then comes back and returns to destroy God's city and destroy God's temple. So in that 20 years before all this takes place, that little country of Judah is left isolated and alone. And what Assyria had done to Israel, the northern 10 tribes, Babylon is now going to do to Judah. So the only appropriate follow-up to the cruelty we saw described in the book of Nahum last time is this book. Habakkuk is also the most descriptive of exactly who we are looking for in the coming Antichrist himself, the wicked one described here in chapter 1, verse 11, and in verse 13. So Habakkuk is the last in line to describe the great tribulation for you. I mean, most prophets simply allowed God to speak to them and speak through them to God's people, not Habakkuk. Read Habakkuk. The key word in the book is the interrogative, why? So this is the only book in the Minor Prophets where the people are never addressed. Instead, we get to listen in on a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. And he opens chapter 1 by saying his name, saying his name. Because the name Habakkuk can mean either to embrace or to wrestle. Why? Because sometimes you got to wrestle in order to embrace. Is my microphone on? Habakkuk lets us know by his name that just like Jacob at the Jabbok, he is wrestling to embrace God in the midst of what's going on. Have you ever wondered how long you were going to have to hurt? Have you ever wondered when is God going to answer my prayer? No prophet ever asked that, but Habakkuk does because certain circumstances are wrecking and rocking his world. 
Now, you can survey this book by comparing the opening verses in each chapter. Chapter 1, verse 1, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. I mean, he couldn't even bear to write it down, what he was seeing that God was showing that was going to happen to his people. Chapter 2, verse 2, and the Lord answered me and said, write. Chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. So chapter 1 is his burden, chapter 2 is his vision, chapter 3 is his song. And we need to, we need to see this right now in our run-up to the GO conference because Habakkuk opens with a question but ends with an affirmation. Okay, you didn't get that. I can do that better. He opens with a sob, chapter 1, verse 3. But he ends on a song, chapter 3, verse 19. He says, God, do you mean to tell me that you are going to let the devil and the wicked Chaldeans punish us, your holy people? Are you going to put the rod to your kids by using someone who is even more unrighteous, more wicked than we are, and more cruel? Oh, let me tell you about the burden. Look at verse 1, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. Check the exclamation points in your King James Bible sometimes. How long do I got to cry before you will listen? How long will circumstances wreck my savings? How long will uncertainty cause me stress? How long am I going to have to fear what looks like is going to happen? How many times do I have to yell before you're going to finally come to my rescue? Now, verse 2 does set the doctrinal context of this book forward in time to the tribulation as per Revelation 6.10. And yet, aren't you asking those same questions right now? I mean, you look all right and all righteous, but you are unwhole and hurting. So if you're in the house and you feel that way, you're feeling Habakkuk with me. Habakkuk gave me some good news to give to you today, and I, I know it's troublous times, but what you will see today and discover next week, starting next Sunday, is what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, look at it on your handout, that if thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands, and that's no spooky thing, Paul's simply saying, look, you're in ministry right now because I put my hands on you. I mean, I went by your hometown one time and I met you, but when I came back through, I grabbed you and said, look, you're going with me. And when I needed a troubleshooter and I needed somebody to go out there and do that thing that I couldn't go do, I sent you. I put my hands on you. And I've been at Ephesus for 18 months, a year, year and a half. I've been at Ephesus. I've been teaching all this time in this church, but now I got to go. I got to leave up. I got to raise up out of here. You're going to stay behind. You're going to pastor the church to the Ephesians. I put my hands on you, and if you do that, if you stir up the gift that you got from doing that, then, verse 7, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Do you want to know how to deal with your mental health crisis? This is our first point for study. God has a way of clearing your vision whenever you stir up what God has given. Because stirring up your giftedness is what makes you receptive and God responsive. Okay, you missed that. So, so let me say it again. You stirring up your gift is what makes you receptive and God responsive to you. So whatever you are feeling, if you can just stir up what he gives you in his words and get God's vision on your life, then he will order your steps in his way. Psalm 119, verse 133. Okay, listen, I know you're trying to sleep. 
So let me just take one minute and unpack this prophet, and we'll clothe ourselves with the truth and, and, and get out of here and get our healing and head, head home looking forward to next Sunday and next Wednesday, uh, Sunday through Wednesday for the GO Conference. Prophet Habakkuk paints you a picture entitled Details of the Last Days. He is not Monet. This is not impressionistic art, despite all the commentaries you may read to the contrary. He's not Picasso here. This this is the this is Rembrandt. This is the Dutch masters. This is a photographic image of what's going to take place. So in chapter one, we see him perplexed about providential passivity in the face of the pain, the problems, and the predicaments of his people. Here we see the key characteristics of the last days of the church age which we are in. According to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 2 Timothy chapter 3. I mean, it shows us the consequence of pastors who you used to believe they had God's words now departing from the faith. And they don't know where to find it. Certainly they will say it's not available to you today. Verse 1 begins with a burden. And that heavy weight resting on Habakkuk's shoulders is described in verses 2 and 3. At the end of verse 2, he says, I cry violence, Lord, and you will not save. Then verse 3 describes what he saw that was making him doubt God's words. What was he seeing that was God's burden to him? Verse 3, why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold Grievance for spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. So what what you're making me see is what the Babylonians are going to do to us, and I don't like seeing that. And I know that even right now in my society, there are that raise up strife and contention. There are people that raise up strife and contention. There are things, there are politics raising up striving contention. There's climate change raising up striving contention. Hello, injustice. Hello, brutality. Hello, gang violence and robbery. Hello, next election cycle. And here is the prime characteristic that tells you that we are in the last days of the church age. It is that so many believers today are bewildered by random chance and circumstance. So much so that they blame God for what Satan actually does. So the devil is the God of this world. This world is under his curse. He drives the random incidents and the accidents and the climate events. And yet they blame God. Like God is at fault for the fall, not Satan. That is the position that Habakkuk starts off in. And in verse 4, he describes the circumstances that will ultimately bring in the Antichrist. And this is the reason that Habakkuk starts off by asking two questions. Two questions in verse 2, how long? And in verse 3, why? Because here's our second point for study. The only people whose faith can thrive in a time like this are those who know what God intends to do. I'm just saying. Those are the people who study and harmonize the prophetic word. So in verses 5 to 11, God does answer his prophet in prophecy. And yet, since God has been silent now for 20 centuries, people today have the impression God will never act. And they even blame God for the mess that they see going on. But you know what? In verse 5, that phrase, in your days, means God will act within the normal lifetime of the people who experience the circumstances he's describing. So starting at the paragraph mark, we see the backstory in verse 5 and how God shows us the actual events in verses 6 and 7. But now the thing I want you to notice is how Daniel, Ezekiel, and Habakkuk all start with the land and move to a man. Okay, they start with the land, 
and prophecy moves to a man. So Ezekiel starts with Magog, chapter 38, verse 2, but then he addresses Gog, which is one of the 18 names of the Antichrist in your Bible. Okay, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel starts with 10 kingdoms, and he ends up addressing the little horn, Daniel 7, verse 8, another one of those 18 names. So Habakkuk starts off with the Chaldeans, verse 6, and ends with a Chaldean, one man, verse 11. So what we see in verses 6 and 7 is what Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 8, verse 9. We see the rise of the Antichrist, but before he is revealed as the Antichrist, I mean, your King James Bible is a marvelous book, really. Because these are second advent descriptions. Watch, verse 9. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind, because the east wind is often a bad wind in the Bible. Now, I don't know about a bad moon rising, but I do know from your Bible that a bad wind comes from the east. And they shall gather the captivity as the sand, because that is what Abraham's descendants are likened to in Genesis 22, verse 17. So yeah, Nebuchadnezzar can round them up. Hitler was able to round them up. The Antichrist will be able to round them up. But he's still obeying the Bible. I mean, that still looks just like the Bible says. He'll gather them up like sand. And they shall scoff at the kings... And the princes shall be a scorn unto them. In other words, what, the, what Nebuchadnezzar did, the Antichrist will do. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it, just like the Romans. You know how they took Masada? Masada was a mountain. What did the Romans do? They built another mountain right next to it. They built another mountain. And then they were able to attack it and take it. So the Antichrist will reveal his true colors in the middle of the tribulation with a great show of violence. But now watch how the next verse flips. It flips from the plural to the singular. So it flips from they or them and there to he and him. It flips from the plural to the singular. Verse 11, then shall his mind changed and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power unto his God. Now, I am sorry if you do not have a King James Bible. Because every modern translation corrupts verses just like this and changes them. Now, that is not your fault by any means. I'm not blaming you. I'm just showing this to you. Because what I need you to know is that they changed verses like this because these verses identify the Antichrist for you. That's why they get changed. I'm not necessarily saying that that was the motive of the translators, but they are the devil's angel, uh, agents, and this is the result. So God flips from the plural to the singular and basically flips off the scholars who do not believe in biblical authority. They do not believe that the Bible God gave as his only words in English for 270 years. It was the only Bible we had. I mean, either it's God's words in English or we've never had it from 1611 to 1881. They don't believe in anything supernatural about the Bible, really. But they certainly do not believe that those words are a transmission and not just a translation. And so the devil takes advantage duping them into distorting God's words because modern translators do not believe and cannot understand what God is saying right here. They change it and only for that reason. Now, why? Why do I say that? And why do I say it that way? Because I'm a doctor and I'm your friend. And I know you say, but look, Alan, all those translators, they're doctors too. I mean, it's translated by Dr. So-and-so and Dr. Such-and-such and Dr. Whatever. 
okay, but you need to get a, get a second opinion. I'm just telling you, you need to get a second opinion because every verb in this verse is third person, masculine, singular, he. And yet, they refuse to accurately translate this because it does not make sense to them. No other reason. It just doesn't make sense to them. They think they know more than God, better than God, better than the Hebrew, better than the manuscripts. They don't even translate the manuscripts correctly. And since they cannot believe that Habakkuk would be talking about just one man, the Antichrist, then the Christian Standard Bible, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible, the New International Version, they all keep it in the plural and translate it they and their, not his and he, no matter what the Hebrew says. I mean, they want to make you think that Habakkuk is talking about the land and the Babylonian army, not the land and a man. And what they destroy is the idea of a king giving credit to his God, who is not the true God, just like Daniel 11 verses 36 to 38 say, which is where you land in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 11. And yet he'll break the covenant with the Jews in the midst of the seven-year tribulation period, Daniel 9, 27. He will set up his image in order to worship himself as God in their temple, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4. And Daniel tells you it will not be by his own power. In other words, his, he acknowledges his power comes from Satan, his God. And the book of Revelation confirms that people will be forced to worship the dragon who gives power to the beast. Revelation 13, verse 4. Now you notice the paragraph mark in the King James Bible at verse 12. Because this is where Habakkuk starts giving his response to God. And I love this dialogue because it's so much like you and me. I mean, Habakkuk says, Lord, aren't you going to come to my rescue? I mean, look how bad things are for your people whom you say that you love. Prove your character. Just give me your game plan. So in the final verse of the first verse of the next chapter of chapter 2, Habakkuk makes the most important decision of his entire life. Look at it with me, chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower, the watchtower, because I feel like a city under siege. And being under siege, I'm going to put myself in a place where I can receive a word from God. I'm hurting right now. My heart is broken right now, but I'm not going to stay at ground level. Ground level is all you can see from the world's perspective. Ground level is the best answer that a lost man can give on a good day. Ground level are the translators hypocritically changing and inaccurately translating God's words to make them say what they want them to say. Now, I don't care if you are evangelical. I cannot walk with you that far. And that's just exactly what it is, and there is no defense for it. That's just what they do. This is just one example of other places I could show you. Faith level says, you know what? I can take this situation to another altitude, because here's our third point for study. Once I change my altitude, it will alter my attitude. Hello, somebody. So I'm going to step up and stir up my gift because as long as I am at ground level, I only see things from my limited perspective. So I'm going to climb my watchtower of confident faith expectation because I believe God has a word for my situation. Will you say that with us as we enter into our GO conference? And as we see if God is leading us, to a new location, 1.0 miles east of here. I mean, it's not even 1.1. I mean, after all, we were trusting God 
for us to be able to build 4,000 square feet. And, I, and God saw us stirring up what he had given us, and he said, you know what, for less money, I'm going to give you 12 times more. Actually, it's 13 times more, but I don't like that number, so I, I, I'll just say 12 <laughs> times more. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to do what the translators do, okay? I don't like it, so I'm going to change it. Why is Habakkuk willing to wait on the Lord's word? Verse 1, I will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. When I tell my people how God is going to use Nebuchadnezzar as a borrowed razor to shave them, they're going to rebuke me and they're going to refute me. So I need to be ready to give an answer to all the scholars and the scribes and the scoffers out there. But more than that, and in order to get that answer, I'm going to watch to see what God will say to me. Habakkuk did not say, I'm going to wait to hear what God will say. He said, see, because what Habakkuk wants you to recognize today is that God speaks to you through a word which you can read in your language and you can see it. And once you grab hold of that, well, then you stop coming to church out of habit. You start coming to church ready for church in order to see what God is saying to you. I mean, once you have Habakkuk-type faith, then you want to stir what he has given you. And you want to turn those pages of your King James Bible. So God says, okay, Habakkuk, whoop, here it is. Wrestle with it and embrace it just like David did. Now, how do we do that? How can we do that? Look at verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Habakkuk writes God's vision in chapter 3, and it lays out for him the second advent of Jesus Christ. Chapter 3 is a prayer psalm. So really, chapter 3 is a rock opera because Jesus is the rock. Okay, I don't see why you didn't get that. You, you haven't been to church all your life. Chapter 3 is a rock opera because you know, haven't you noticed all the best commercials are, are now musicals, right? If they're trying to sell you a drug, the commercial is a musical. They know how to do it. Habakkuk was way ahead of the times. Chapter 3 is a musical, and, and he's talking about the rock. And that vision is going to empower Judah to suffer the destruction of their capital, the destruction of their temple, and 70 years in Babylonian captivity. Now watch, verse 2, write the vision, make it plain upon tables, writing tablets, or, I mean, we don't have space in here, maybe, maybe when we move we will, because a lot of Bible studies we do, you set at tables. And okay, let's write it on the tables uh, that, uh, that he may run that readeth it. Now he does not say. So he, that he that runs may read it. It doesn't say that. It says that he that reads it will be enabled to run. So he's speaking to you right now. I mean, obviously, speaking of those Jews who read this, know that they got to run. Just like Jesus tells them to run in Matthew 24. When you see this, the abomination of desolation, you better run. Don't even go back to your house. Don't go back and get your stuff. You need to run. So, okay, but for you, he, what he's saying, you know what? You may not be running yet, but you can run once you read what is written in your King James Bible. Why? Because that view of biblical authority gives you direction and guidance and purpose and instruction. Habakkuk, write it so that when people are walking by, they can see it and be enabled to run by it because my spirit always answers to my word. Write the vision. Because a vision is God's truth, supernaturally seen and comprehended by the certainty of his words. Proverbs 22, 
Proverbs 29. And that is, that is what you need to see right here and what we need to display as we move to a new location. I mean, I am so excited because it's like, all right, you know, if, if God keeps working this out and so far it's, it's you know, it's kind of gone without a glitch. I don't even know what to think about that. But if God keeps working this out, it's like, all right, we get over there. Everybody's curious. I mean, this is, this is now under new ownership. This is, this is now under new management over here. And, it, and it's this Harvest Baptist Church. And, you know, they're preaching the King James Bible as, as the authoritative word of God. I mean, I'm kind of curious about that. Let's see what's happening right here. We need a word from God administered to us by the Spirit of God, and he doesn't do that through unbelieving translators. Because vision is when you submit to revelation, which is greater than your situation, and greater than your understanding, and greater than your doctorate, and greater than all your studies. I mean, vision is where the Holy Spirit takes the scriptures that you have and gives you a preview of coming attractions. I mean, vision is saying the not yet in the midst of the right now. And vision is knowing that your not yet will one day be right now so that you live right now as if you're already there. How do you expect your life your marriage, your family, your vocation to have any meaning if you're just going through the motions. Because here's our fourth point for study. Once you see God's purpose, he gives you a preview of what's possible. And once you see what's possible, you will not be content with what's present. So we're going to stir up your gift by stirring up your vision and your faith for you and for your kids at our GO conference because God's vision helps you realize you have a future tense that can overpower your present tense. Are you going with me in this? How are you making it without vision? Oh, wait, I know. You're not. But once you have vision from what God has written so that what is written gives you motivation, gives you direction, and gives you power to run, then you set yourself up for victory no matter the vicissitudes. I mean, that's what overcoming it is. It is overcoming. You've set yourself up on your tower to watch because you're going to See what God says so you can overcome. So when you feel like you run out of gas, you pull into the shell station, not the shell station. You pull into the shell station. Let the whole church say shall. Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Whenever you get discouraged, pull into the shall station and get filled up with what shall be. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Why is God doing something special for us? Why has he given us roughly 12 times more than what we initially stirred our faith for? And I admit that means three times more utility costs. That means three times more maintenance. That means initially a mortgage and all that it will cost us to move and make it our own. And yet... Well, some churches are asking why we need to have the vision to ask why not. Why haven't we done more in the city? We're saying why not. Why can't we work together in discipleship and evangelism just like we did a week ago Saturday with the Union District Churches down at 29th in Indiana? We're saying why not. Why haven't we done more for our kids in protecting, in teaching, in guiding them in faith? We are asking, why not? Yeah. 
Why not believe you have a Bible that's actually the words of God? Why not? Why not live the Great Commission and go even across Seven Highway? Why not read and then run with what God gives us and stir it up? Stir up some good trouble. Why not go to the world with the gospel? So today, I'm just trying to get you to ask one thing of yourself in advance of our Go Conference starting next Sunday. Why not? You know, you hear a lot of preachers who will say, not everybody can go, but you can give. Well, I say not every, you know, what I say is this. Everyone can serve and everyone can support. Everyone can serve. Everyone can go, really. Everyone can serve. I mean, I should be able to have the freedom as your pastor put my hands on you like Paul did Timothy, don't you think? I mean, not to do anything bad, to put, but to place you in ministry to say, hey, we got, a, we got an opening here. No, I mean, we always take volunteers. I don't, I don't think I have ever forced anybody. And, uh, uh, okay, but everybody can serve and everyone can support because once you have a vision, that vision dictates your direction. And once you have direction, that direction dictates your priorities. And that is why even though this move will take a bigger budget than what we have, I ain't scared. Because God's obvious direction is going to dictate your personal priorities. I think so. I mean, I have to think so. I, I have to trust in you like I trust in God. I have to trust in the word of God doing the work in your life like he does in mine. Habakkuk 2 verse 3, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. There's an appointment God has set for you to bear fruit for him. And that, that time is arriving. But when, it, when is it right? How do we know when? Verse 3, but at the end it shall speak. So God's word speaks. Because the Holy Spirit speaks through God's words. But now notice how those two three-letter words, the end, clear up about 50 verses in your New Testament. That teach there is someone who can lose their salvation, but it ain't you. It's not you. Like Matthew 24, 13, like Hebrews 3, verses 6 and 14, compared to 1 Corinthians 1, verses 6 to 9, and Ephesians 4, verse 30. So Habakkuk's vision shows you the end of an appointed period of time, even though they were just at the beginning. For the Jews, it is the end of seven appointed years of tribulation. And in that time, it won't matter what what you believed in, what your faith was, what profession you made. If you take the mark of the beast, all bets are off, baby. If you take the mark of the beast, you done lost your salvation then. But for the Christian in the age of grace, your end is the rapture and the judgment seat of Christ. And when God, God's word speaks, verse 3, it shall not lie. The scholars lie. I just showed you. You look it up. Go ogle it yourself if you don't believe me. I'm just giving you a second opinion. The scholars lie. The modern Bibles lie. God will not lie. God does not give you a vision. God does not give you his words in, in an English Bible that proves false or uncertain or in doubt because this is our fifth point for study. God gives you a purpose for eternity that is made possible starting in this life. So what do you do? What do we do? Verse 3, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Okay, though it tarry, it will not tarry. God, you're contradicting yourself. God says, no, baby Bobby, you're contradicting me. You're looking at what I'm doing, and you are impatient. You're the one who's saying it is tarrying. I am telling you that I'm going to be on time. So it may look like it lingers, but it won't be delayed. Now, you're thinking through this with me. Because the vision is hesitating, but God says that vision still ain't going to arrive late. I mean, it's hesitated 2,000 years, praise the Lord. 
that his grace has endured 2,000 years. Thank God. 2,000 years of the church age, Jew, Gentile, into the body of Christ. But you know what? God is a God, not of my watch, but of his will. Therefore, God operates not according to my time, but according to his timing. So what do I do in the meantime between the initiation and me running to the destination? Well, don't do this, verse 4. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. And yet that is our default response because that is the way that you were born. The natural way is not a faith response way to what is written. It is arrogantly trusting yourself, trusting your human reason, trusting your Greco-Roman definition of biblical inspiration over what the Bible says about itself, trusting those scholars and what they give you, and boxing God out. And that is the condition of most of the people in American society who belong to the world and live for this present evil world, Galatians 1 verse 4. But what you believe dictates how you behave in the midst of the in-between. And most of us spend our lives in the in-between. So what I want to know before the rapture takes place is, do you have enough belief to know how to behave in the midst of the in-between? I mean, what about you and me and us as a church together? Watch verse 4. But the just shall live by his faith. Because what happens outside does not control your inner man. What happens in your inner man of Ephesians 3.16 can control how you act on the outside. So how are you carrying yourself through your in-between? Will you stir up what God has given you so that you can live under God's favor? God's favor, even though you're frustrated. God's favor, even though your heart gets broken. God's favor, even though we walk by sight right now, not by faith. Will you go on with us in God's favor? How do you get it? How do you get that favor? Well, look at Galatians 2.16. You better look on it on your handout if you don't have a, a King James Bible because none of the other translations, tra- here's another example, none of them read this way. They all translate it wrong, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. The Greek does not say by your faith in Christ. But they don't know what it means, so they don't translate it right. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. No amount of religious effort on your part can save a lost sinner like you. Can't be done. No way, Jose. Imposible. You cannot justify yourself before God with ceremony, sacraments, or rituals. Salvation is by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. Grace is all his merits, all his righteousness. Grace is the faith of Christ and all his faithfulness activated by you personally trusting in what he did for you on the cross. And that is the first vision that you need to see, you need to read, and you need to run by. My time is up. I thank you for yours. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Great English poet of the 1700s was William Cowper. His father was a pastor. His mother died giving birth to his brother. He was bullied at school. He was later prevented from marrying his sweetheart. He reached a crisis at age 32, mental health crisis, and he decided suicide was the only way out. He drank poison. It didn't work. Next day, he hired a cab to take him to the River Thames, but the driver wouldn't let him jump. He fell on a knife, but the blade broke. In a moment of deepest mental health crisis, when he couldn't see any way out, he opened his Bible, he found the book of Romans, he read it straight through. And sometime afterwards, he wrote this poem. 
God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable mind of never-failing skill. He treasures up his bright design. It, it tarries. He treasures up his bright design and works his sovereign will. It will not tarry. Are you letting God be your sovereign and work his will in your life? Will you let him do it today and at our GO conference and beyond? You know, this will only take a few minutes, but you can leave here today a brand new person. And all you have to do is pray, just your heart to God, knowing that he hears you. Nobody can do it for you. Because getting saved, becoming a Christian, is an exchange of life. You need to know that. It is an exchange of life. Giving up your old sinful, rotten life in order to get the righteous, spotless life of Jesus Christ. This is a transaction that you've got to make with Christ on your own. But all you have to do is pray. I mean, just pray and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I mean, I admit, I know it. But today you've shown me the vision of Jesus dying for me. He suffered for me. I mean, I saw it. I saw the burden. I saw that vision. And at first I thought it was me. And I cried and you didn't save. And I thought all this, I thought hell was coming on me. Then I stepped back, I got on my tower, I watched, and it was actually Jesus. I was the thief on the other side of the cross. He was the one who was dying for me. He suffered and bled because of my sins so that he could save me and redeem me and give me everlasting life for faith in him. I want that life right now. The life that is in Jesus Christ. So I take Jesus as my Lord. God save me for Jesus' sake. I want his righteousness. I'll not try to manufacture my own. Put me in Christ. Put the Holy Spirit in me and make me born again. So here, Jesus, I give you my life. Go ahead and stand as we get ready for the praise team to send us out singing. And if you prayed that prayer today, I want to know. I'd like you to let us know. If you'll come to the front either while they're singing or as soon as we get done, we have people here at the front who will give you a copy of my book on next steps for new believers. And if you get fed here um, and you attend here, you ought to be a member here. Come up and uh, let us know if you want to join our church. And if you're saved and born again, but you've not been scripturally baptized, you saw what that was all about today, come up and let us know. We'll let you know when we're uh, next doing baptisms again. Next Sunday begins our Go Conference Sunday morning. And then next Sunday through Wednesday night, bring your family with you because we've got amazing things for the kids. Praise, praise team, send us out singing.